You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 67th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing my friend and colleague, Francesco Bizzacchi, known to most as Frenchie. He is highly credentialed as an MED, CTRTC, which is Choice Theory Reality Therapy Certified, and LMC. And he's a high-performance hockey coach, NCCP facilitator with the GTHL, passionate consultant, coach, and teacher with over 30 years of experience. He's a leader who uses unique teaching styles to engage his audience, bringing a wealth of expertise to schools, boardrooms, and teams. President of Bazaki Consulting, which focuses on coaching, consulting, leadership development, and choice theory training. He also serves on the Glasser Canada Board. Thank you so much for being with us, Frenchie. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here with you. My first question is going to be to break down some of those initials in your introduction, because for one thing, I don't know LMC. What is LMC? Lead Management Certification. Oh, which awesome. is part of okay. the choice theory training. Okay, great. NCCP facilitator? National Coaching Certification Program. Okay, and what is the GTHL? That's an acronym from the Greater Toronto Hockey League. Okay, all right. So I know that you love <laughs> hockey. I know you do. How did you get involved in sports? I remember playing sports ever since I was about four years old. I came to Canada when I was six. And I'd been playing soccer up until that point. And my parents had always had a philosophy that said, you know, we want you to play as many sports as you can. So from whatever, like from grade one, right up till grade eight, all I did was play all different kinds of sports. It was really based on the seasons. You know, in the fall, we ran cross country. Then we went to volleyball, basketball, hockey, softball, and track and field. And then the summers, you know, we, we played everything from golf to football to all kinds of, of fun games. So sports was always something that was part of my, my culture, as part of what I enjoyed doing. And as I got older, my, my father fell in love with the game of hockey. You know, in Italy, we'd seen it on TV. He watched it on TV. But when he saw a live game and the speed and, and you know, the ice and the blades, it just he just fell in love with it. So I got my first pair of skates at the age of 10. And I just immediately fell in love with the game. And I played right up until, you know, university. That was pretty well my number one sport. By about grade nine or 10, I started focusing primarily on the game of hockey. Wow. So Frenchie, when did you get introduced to choice theory? I actually wasn't called choice theory. The first time I was introduced to Glasser's works was actually when I was at Teachers College back in 1987 at Lakehead University. I had a wonderful professor, Norm Sakamoto, I still remember him, and he taught us a, a form of class management known as reality therapy. And the way you dealt with, you know, behavioral issues was by having students fill out a contract, kind of, you know, write down what they did, how they might change their behavior so that they can maybe be more aligned with the identity of the classroom. And it was really a non-punitive approach to dealing with all kinds of behavioral issues. And so when I began teaching, I, I always kind of used that approach in my classroom. And then I had the opportunity to be an acting vice principal for three years. Our, our principal had been seconded down to the board, and I used that approach. 
And then later, I was looking to do some work in leadership. I wanted to get my master's in leadership, especially in education. And all the programs I looked at were steering me towards leadership and administration. And I didn't really want to do that. And so one of the counselors says, well, what is it that you want to work on? Like I said, I really want to work on student motivation. I want to work on how we can help students that might not be engaged. So she suggested there's a really neat program. It's a master's of education psychology called Quality Schools, which is out of the University of Iowa. So I, I applied, I got in and I got my master's in quality schools. That really got me more excited about choice theory. So I did a little bit more homework. I realized that we had an amazing facilitator in the city of Toronto by the name of Jim Montagnus. So I reached out to him and, you know, he introduced me to the basic intensive, you know, and I went through all the stages up until certification, stayed involved with the program because, you know, there's wonderful people, uh, really enjoyed going to the conferences and getting to know a lot of people. That's how I met you, Kim, at one of the conferences in Toronto. From there, it's, it's really been kind of, you know, something that I, I, I try to be very intentional about what I do and, and how I go about doing things. You're very fortunate to have learned from one of our masters, Jim Montagnus. He is one of the originals that knows Glasser from way back in the beginning. So that's awesome. So what are your views on sports, culture, and their impact on young people? Well, I'm a big proponent of sports. Um, like I said, I've played myself and I've, I've, you know, whether it's an individual sport or whether it's a team sport, I've, I'm more into team sports, you know, although I, I do dabble a little bit in golf, but I just find sports is a, is a great, great, great opportunity for, for people to come and work together, right? You really learn about collaboration. You learn about hard work. You learn things like dedication and commitment because, you know, sometimes you have to put the needs of the group ahead of your own. So I find sport is, is a great opportunity to do a lot of teaching, especially as a teacher. We could do a lot of teaching outside of the classroom through sports or through the activities. And I would say the same thing about any extracurricular activity. As long as you've been given the opportunity to excel in other areas, but at the same time, you're learning those really key skills that are transferable in life, whether it's preparing whether it's paying attention to detail, whether it's learning how to handle those emotions, especially in those critical moments where you might feel nervous or there's a lot at stake. I think those are all wonderful opportunities to learn all these skills, especially in the sport, which is not always life and death. It's just something that I find is, is a value. That's really insightful, I think. What do you think is important in building a championship culture? Because I know that's something that you focus on. And I also know that you use lead management principles in your work with sports and with hockey. What do you think is important in building that championship culture? It's a great question. I think that there's some principles that some coaches apply. I, I will say this is just something that I adhere to, but I know all coaches will approach things in their own way. But I find what kind of works for me is that as a coach, it's important to know who you are and what you stand for and what you want. And I think it's important to communicate that vision and to have a clear vision of what it is that you want. I think that vision provides coaches and players because the players also have the opportunity to contribute towards molding that vision because you're all working together to achieve a common goal, which in most sports is to win a championship or at least to improve where you were the year before. And I believe by having that really clear focused vision, then you have an identity. And then you have something that you can measure up to your behaviors and what you're doing is, is this the kind of team we want to be? And is what we're doing getting us closer to what we want as our vision or is it moving us further away? 
Then the other thing I think as, as a coach, it's very important to really get a handle on the commitments. And I would say the competency of your athletes, you know, because those are two areas that can direct how much attention you're going to put in those areas. So if it's a commitment issue where players might not fully understand what's required, then you might spend more time on team building. If it's a competency issue where they might need to really work on their skills, then you might spend more time on harnessing and really focusing on those skills. Although you're always working on skills, but you might just pay special attention to that. So first is having that identity. Second is really having a, an idea of how you can grow and move your team. The third thing I would say is important to have a sense of synergy, to, to really have an intentional culture whereby people recognize that the only way we're going to succeed is if we work together. And that for me really provides that family teamwork kind of atmosphere where we're kind of working for each other. And then I think all real championship teams also allow some creative process at work. I mean, we can practice all we want to execute certain plays, but they're not always going to work out the way you want to. So I think it's important that you allow an opportunity for your players to harness those creative skills by, you know, allowing small area games where in this particular game, you don't have to worry about any particular rules. You're just trying to create based on the space that's given and the time that's required. So those are kind of a few things that I think are important. And then I would end that as you're doing this daily conversations, you know, your vision is not a one time here it is. It's something that you work on every single day. And it's something that you intentionally bring to the attention of the player. So whether it's by way of how you act, how you speak, whether it's the way by your communication in terms of how the room is set up how you go about setting up your lineup, your practices, all of that speaks to that vision. And I believe if you're able to do that, you really build some trust. If you build trust, then people are willing to take risks. And then there's another piece that's really important that helps build championship cultures is helping athletes manage their emotions and to harness their competitiveness in ways that are going to work for them and not against them. And also ways that are going to work for our team and not against our team. And I think if you're doing all those things, then you're working towards what I call the three C's. And the three C's are that you have commitment, you have competency, you have confidence, and you really care about what you're doing. And that equals caring. So for me, those are some important qualities that help build a championship culture. And Kim, if you were to look at those qualities I just mentioned, and if I were to have them on the right side, and then on the left side, if I were to say to you, they correspond to what we would refer to as choice theory, because your identity is really about matching quality role pictures. Your teamwork is about creating a need-fulfilling environment and how important that is. Your creative process is about building that resiliency that when things may not be going your way, well, then you've got you to reorganize those behaviors. You've got to really go into that creative part. And then that trust and commitment, it's about building like that built-in sacrifice. It's really about that total behavior. It's that behavioral system, that signal to kind of get going and working together as a team. And then if you manage all of those things and, and you, you can handle the pressure under extreme circumstances, then what I think is that you're really more in effective control. I find those kind of work for me. And that's the template we use. We use a triangle. So every time, you know, we talk to our teams, we try to explain to them, and this is very intentional in what we're trying to do. And we tell them that if we're not self-aware of what we're doing. Then, you know, we're going to end up doing what someone else wants us to do. And that's what we don't want to do. 
sounds like you're teaching them skills that will work off the court as well as on. Yeah. And and that's, you know, one of the, the greatest things is often, you know, after the season, you know, although you haven't won, for me, the most satisfying moments is when athletes thank you for the year, you know, and it's not always measured. Your success isn't always measured by winning a championship. It's measured by them having a a really kind of wonderful experience because hockey, and I'm sure in the U.S. you'd have in other sports, it's very, very competitive. And the competitive, you know, kind of drives a lot of people away. Because that is the case, we lose a lot of lifelong athletes and lifelong fitness people because they tune out at a much earlier age than we want them to. So when you're working with junior players that range between the ages of 16 and 20, and they can get to that point and they can say, you know, this was an enjoyable year. It means a lot to me because that means they would have had a lot of years of hockey that maybe weren't as enjoyable. We always err on saying, look, let's create the best experience possible and the rest will take care of itself. I love that philosophy. What I heard you say, a couple of things, I just want to draw some parallels to lead management clearly you're intentional and you know you're using lead management concepts, but our listeners, I want them to understand you talked about two things, creating a need satisfying environment and focusing on competencies. You had other things that you spoke of, but those two things are the things that I think a good lead manager needs to learn to balance. Because if you focus exclusively on competencies and you forget about the need satisfying environment, you have kids quitting because it's not fun. And then if you focus only on the need satisfying environment, then you have a play group and they don't really get any better. So (laughs) leaders need to focus on both of those things in the business world. It translates into relationships with your employees and between your employees and whatever the job is that you brought them together to do. So I love that you're really intentionally using lead management principles in your coaching. So Frenchie, how has choice theory impacted your coaching and your teaching? As you know, choice theory is very much about being an internal control system. So if there's two things that it's impacted me on is one is like just becoming self-aware of how and why I'm behaving. And secondly, oftentimes it's what's more important is, you know, not so much what other people do, but it's what you tell yourself when other people are doing things. I find for me, you know, and I know we've had these discussions before, but the behavioral system and total behavior and managing your physiology and your feelings so that you can think and act and be at your best when it counts the most has been very critical for me. I'm very emotional and I know that. And oftentimes just reminding myself or having a plan prepared in the event this is going to happen Just remember that these are some skills that you can apply to get yourself in a position so that you can think properly and you can hear properly because sometimes we only hear what we want to hear when we're a little bit in our emotional state. I find that's really helped. And then as far as education and teaching, I just, I really love, you know, the whole idea of making school meaningful and trying to make connections to the real world and life. And I was very fortunate because I taught religion, I taught English and leadership. So those connections were, you know, maybe more accessible to me than maybe someone who was doing math or science, but even great math teachers know how to do that. They're able to somehow show the relevancy and how it can be meaningful. And then the other piece that's really helped me is, although I may seem like a traditional teacher, I'm not necessarily a traditional teacher when it comes to assessments. 
I really believe in uh, allowing students an opportunity to excel based on their learning needs in terms of how they best are able to express, whether it's a visual, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a presentation or a test. So kind of really change and have a variety of assessment works where people can demonstrate their competencies and what they've learned that isn't always on pen and paper. In terms of the teaching, that's worked in that way. And as far as coaching, I could say it's about the same thing, because for me, teaching and coaching are very similar. Just like on a team, when you establish a a team identity, you know, we would spend maybe one or two weeks before class even started just creating a class identity and doing activities around that, what it would look like. And we would build that environment. And then once you build the environment, it's a lot easier to work that process. I think it's impacted me in those ways. I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but that's what comes to mind right now. Yes, you definitely answered my question. When you talked about developing trust with your players, to me, it seems like without trust, you're not really a leader because people don't follow people that they don't trust. They might follow a person they don't trust out of fear of the consequences of not following. But when that person isn't looking, they go back to the behavior that they want to behave anyway. They don't have an internal motivation to follow a leader that they don't trust. But when you do what you said you do in terms of walking your walk, you're not asking kids to do something that you haven't already done. And they see your integrity in the intentionality of how you make that vision come to life that does develop trust and it creates an internal motivation in your players to listen and to want to follow you because you've earned their respect, which I think is also the way of lead management. That was great to hear you talking about that. And I would agree. I remember I had a great teacher say to us, you know what, it's easy to get compliance. You're right, because you can use fear, you can use threats, but to get engagement, that's a whole different area. And with players, like, you know, trust also works both ways, because there's going to be some points where you got to ask them, like, what do you see that I'm missing? What should we be doing differently? Because you're on the ice, you're competing, also allowing them a voice helps to build some trust. And most of the time players, they're pretty intelligent when it comes to game insights. And too often, you know, we we don't give them an opportunity to provide that kind of feedback. Like I'm sure I'm going to jump just ahead to the professionals. But when you look at those top teams, like with Sidney Crosby and Austin, all those teams that are excelling, those players, I bet have a big voice. They have a lot to say on how they might want to run things. You know, like look at Tom Brady. I'm sure he would have a lot to say. I mean, he's, you know, he's a proven athlete. He's a proven winner, right? I think trust works both ways. And the more you can allow yourselves those opportunities, and sometimes the best time is away from the the ice. It's like when it's after practice, everyone's just chilling and just having some lunch and guys are just, you know, chatting in informal ways where a lot of insights are revealed because everyone's relaxed. There's no worry about what they're going to say. Well, you're probably not old enough to have this experience yet, but I would guess that your players will come back to you years from now and tell you how much what you taught them helped them on and off the ice and that you gave them skills that they wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm looking forward. Maybe you've had that experience already, but I am looking forward to you being able to reap some of the rewards because right now you're planting seeds and you're watching them germinate and sprout. But the real evidence of what you're doing will be later on when these students are long past you. And I bet they come back to tell you so. 
You're probably oh. very significant in their life. Well, thank you. But you're way too kind because huh. I'm going to share a little story. I've had kids I've coached or I've taught their kids I'm now coaching or I've, ta- or I've taught. That's yes. the ultimate compliment, right? Yes. Yeah. Because oh, they're, they're trusting you with their children. Maybe you're older than you look, but I still, I, 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 I still think that you'll hear those things going forward. So I'm excited for that. Do you have any last things you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I just want to say thank you for having me on. It was, it was really nice of you. I always enjoy spending time talking with you. So thank you for that. My only advice would be to a young coach or anyone who's kind of going into new experiences to kind of be persistent and consistent with your intentions, but be patient with the results. Because teaching is a process. You don't always get what you want right away. When I say what you want, it sounds kind of like it's, it's what we want because the team's always a we. But just to kind of know, like, you know, work through what you want to do. Be consistent. Be persistent. Don't be afraid to ask for excellence. But be patient in the results and be supportive. And we always tell people, you know, like, we can't guarantee 100% success, but we can guarantee 100% support. Because ultimately, it's the individuals who are going to do all the work. We're just there to help. <laughs> help lead, guide. You play a very important role. Yes. Thank you. I know we were talking the other day about a program you have for hockey players. Do you want to tell the audience about that? Sure. So over the years, uh, I've worked a lot of hockey schools. I was uh, the director of the elite hockey camp at St. Michael's College. And we began what we call a mental toughness program. It's over eight series modules where we cover different topics. We really help the athletes become proactive so that when they're faced with situations where, you know, they might be a little bit down or they need to work on their resilience or they're lacking the focus. Well, we work on those skills ahead of those situations. It's designed to to really help the athletes become more proactive. And we go through eight modules with the athletes. Before COVID, there was also a physical component where we would put the players through some pretty tough physical exercises just to kind of let them know what it feels like to be uncomfortable. And then we'd go back into the classroom and then we would work on some skills that they could apply when they were in those situations. And we go back and we create physical stressful situations again, which allows them to work through it. And the results have been quite remarkable, you know, and the techniques that they apply seem to really help. That's something I've enjoyed doing. And right now we're delivering the program online. It's a modified program online and it requires a little bit of work from the athlete in terms of some reflection and journaling and answering some questions. But it's just something that I enjoy doing and I know athletes find helpful. I love that. So people don't have to be in Toronto to avail themselves of this program. Now they can do it online. That's terrific. Yes. Do you have a website or contact information you can share so people could find your program and maybe reach out for you if they have questions? Yes, thank you. So the website is Bazaki Consulting. You could just Google Bazaki Consulting. It's, you know, www.bazakiconsulting.com. Could you spell Bazaki for people? Yeah, it's B-A-Z-Z-O-C-C-H-I consulting.com. There's all kinds of programs there that people can look up to. There's a contact information. They can just reach out to me and the email's right there. So it's pretty easy to find me. 
Okay. And for my American listeners, Z is a Z. So that's a double Z in Bazaki, <laughs> just so you know. I had a hard time with that. When I started to hear Z, I didn't know quite what that was. So I'm glad I do now. Frenchie, this has been a really great conversation, as always, when we have them. Thank you so much for being willing to share what you're doing as Choice Theory Leadership in coaching. It was great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You just finished listening to an episode on the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Instagram or Facebook. I hope you'll join me next week when I interview Chester Jackson about leadership in the field of adoption, child welfare, and the family. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.